1: Welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. I am your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I have with me my news dude, Martin Podcast UFO Willis. That's me. That's a little sing-song way that you said that there. You must be happy. Yes.
0: Well, yeah, you announced my show. It's a free plug already. (laughs) How can it get any better?
1: I know. Loving the plugs. Loving the pugs. It's the least I can do for you coming and doing the show uh, almost every week, even when you're in Russia or uh, Austria or wherever the heck you are. are. Yeah. Even when the weather out there is atrocious and uh, how is it right now?
0: Uh we have a beautiful uh, fall season right now. So and you're nice, in Maine, right? I'm in Maine and it's what we would call crisp. Mm. Nice crisp mornings. Uh dew on the grass. The leaves are starting to turn and uh, I don't know if you know this but in you know the area where I live in New England it's the number 1 foliage uh wow. to see in the entire world with I think Japan is second. Wow. So we have people just, up. of course, it's just starting now, uh, but we have people just flock to the area, and you can't uh-huh. even go, like, toward the White Mountains or anything like so, that. It's just packed.
1: Wow. That's amazing. So we'll get into UFOs really soon here, but I have one more question about the area that you live in. I recently have been watching um, Castle Rock, and uh, well, actually, we blew through the whole season, uh, and it was very good. Is are our... our the, is Maine known for a lot of weird people who kind of kill others? Um, <laughs> uh, like is that show? your question? Yeah, because, right. I mean, that is where I guess Stephen King's from and where a lot of his yes. books are centered. Um, yeah. So,
0: Yeah, he does. Uh, he lives in Banga.
1: Bangor, oh, that's Maine. right.
0: Which is, uh, which is north of me, about 125 or 130 miles, something like that. And uh, uh, he's got a great imagination. Now, you do have some very colorful characters in the state, that's for sure. Um, but as
1: far as murders, I think it's
0: not, not too many murders that I know of in, mm. in the state. It's pretty low. Good. So really happens.
1: I don't think there's ever been a time – are you much of a Stephen King aficionado –
0: I started reading, reading Stephen King back in the 1970s and, well, before most of your listening audience wasn't even born yet.
1: Because like you said, he's very creative and uh, essentially at the end of the books – I I read a lot of his books and 90% of the time I'm disappointed in the ending uh, because it's usually <laughs> some sort of supernatural force. Mm that is responsible for whatever crazy is going on in the book. Um, and it, it's usually just weird. Doesn't make sense. And it, it is creative, I guess, but um, it's never aliens. And, and I wonder, maybe I get Whoa, disappointed. disappoint. Tommy knockers. Tommy knockers. Yeah. That one was aliens. That was, well, that was, uh,
0: everyone was getting like real, they were doing like really weird stuff in the town and uh-huh. everyone was acting really bizarre. And what it was, was there a, there was a, UFO buried under the ground Like really deep And it was like coming back to life Um,
1: Oh yeah
0: Wacky about it Around it
1: Oh, I forgot about that That was a good one
0: Yeah that was a good one Yeah my first Stephen King book that I read Was called um, The Shining Mm -hmm. Oh yeah that's great I was living in Colorado at the time And it, it set place out in Colorado You
1: were wow I
0: was yeah I was living out in the uh, – not in the Denver, more in the Boulder area, Longmont. You must know uh, Long. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, what's funny, too, is, is um, there is a reference to – well, a lot of his older books in Castle Rock, and uh, um, there's a Shining reference where one of the characters was like, yeah, I was uh, working at this hotel in Colorado in the winter, um, but that was kind of funny. Anyway <laughs> – Okay, getting directly into UFO stuff, and I want to tell people who my guest is because my guest yeah, is a ooh. very unique individual.
0: Wow, you've been—I've been waiting. You—I've been waiting for you to tell me who the guest is.
1: Mm-hmm. So. You were making guesses. You thought maybe it was Dan Aykroyd. Uh, you thought maybe Tom, Tom DeLonge. DeLong is it DeLonge? Uh, and then you is thought George Clooney for some reason, and uh, and that was probably your closest because. Uh, Well, and I'm breaking the news to you now, I guess, but uh, you're my guest.
0: Oh. Oh, thank you.
1: Thank you. We're just pretending Martin already knew he was the guest. But yeah, so sometimes we like to do a show where we catch up on news, and instead of having a guest blabbing in our face, annoying us with all about me, 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 and not giving me time to talk about myself, just kidding, Um, you know... Actually, instead of you know talking about sometimes we have Leon or just Martin and sometimes Martin and Lee. at The end of the year we get together, but I thought it was a good time to just kind of catch up on some UFO news and to break down some items because there's some important stuff going on. To the stars keeps doing stuff, of course, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But yes, today's show is going to be me and Mark, uh, or Mark and I. Sorry, Martin. Martin. Why did I call you Mark? Probably because you said you, you might have Mark, Mark Antonio. You put that in my head. I you, did.
0: It's my fault. Blame n- it on me. Yeah.
1: No, I'm not. Yeah. It's, it's it's still my brain uh, malfunctioning, but uh, that's I must be why I'm thinking of Mark because I think you may or may not have him. It sounds like you might not have him at your next show, but you're going to have him I- on soon. Soon. And, of course, he was with me at uh, Devil's Tower in Wyoming. So, anyways, Martin uh, and I are going to talk about some of the news that is fit to print out there. And there's lots of interesting stuff going on. So, let's get into the world of UFOs. Right now. Yeah, let's go ahead and let you start it off. What you got?
0: Yes. um, Well, first of all, you just mentioned to the stars. I I have to say I'm on their mailing list. And... uh, A a lot of times, you know, I don't know. I skip over them because a lot of times they're selling like T-shirts or something like that. And I I just don't even look, which makes me miss things. Hmm. I wish they could have like a separate mailing list of just like their news. Because I want to talk about um, they are uh, talking about the material interest of magnesium zinc bismuth. I hope I'm saying that right. And uh, this is, first of all, I want to ask you, uh, the ADAM Research Project. I searched everywhere. I just can't seem to find what ADAM stands for, and I know it's out there somewhere. Do you have that on the top of your head?
1: Oh, geez. Um, You know who reminded me last time? I think it was Jason McClellan uh, on my live show. I think he was watching, or at some point for somewhere, he reminded me. Uh, maybe it was just on YouTube. Uh, what the name was, and I've already forgotten. So <laughs> yeah, well, um, I can't
0: find it anywhere. So
1: yeah, I don't think they list Jason? it anywhere. I think they've said yeah. verbally what it is, and uh, that's why I, I'm not sure. But it's something about material acquisition, um, sort of project.
0: Okay. All darn acquisition materials.
1: Yeah, something All darn like that.
0: Acquisition materials. That's good enough for me.
1: So, Uh, mm -hmm.
0: okay. Well, over the last three months, To the Stars Academy has collected seven pieces of material from multiple sources to study for the ADAM research project. Each sample represents different elements of potential unidentified aerial phenomena and how they operate. So that, just that one, you know, paragraph alone is intriguing, and kind of leading all over the place, like are they actually talking about part of a UFO and how would they know it's associated to how it may operate, which I think is, um, I think it's leading. I would like to know more about it. So according to the accompanying provenance documentation, there are two classes of samples, material that was released as a UAP, as the UAP was hovering and material that makes up parts of the structure or systems. So that could be the systems. Hmm. I wish I could see pictures of these things, you know, when they talk about this. Mm -hmm. I mean, just to see a picture of what this supposedly is would be really amazing.
1: Well, the Daily Star posted a picture of some material, but I don't think it is material from them. Uh, Of course, they are a... UK tabloid which often gets the information wrong and of course they were making a big deal in a positive way at least for the group about uh, all of this but yeah seeing the material would be interesting so what's great about what's interesting about this and I I don't know if you mentioned this but what you're referring to is uh, on September 27th just a few days ago uh, to the stars released a article And of which you were reading from, and where they're giving us a little more information about the materials they have, uh, they are looking into for their atom research project, which is to uh, look at these materials. Uh, They say they have seven pieces. What's weird about what you just read, and I think this is kind of what you're alluding to, is that they've said they've collected seven pieces of material from multiple sources. Then they go on um to say each sample represents different elements of potential unidentified aerial phenomena and how they operate what the heck does that mean uh is a good question i i don't know who's writing these but the the issue is they're 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 kind of all over the place these articles at to the stars and i think that it it's sort of an issue um And who was it I was talking to soon? I can't remember recently. I was talking to someone recently, and they were asking, you know, what is kind of their media strategy? Um, What uh, Mm. have they done that way? And um, I don't know. That's a good question is what is their media strategy? Because it's hard to say, and I don't think they have one. I think they're kind of – they have a strategy for what they want to do as a company. They have a strategy for, I think, communicating to, um, high level, uh, individuals within government and even industry, um, which is great. But whatever that is, is vague because, uh, they don't, I don't think have a media strategy. That's very clear, nor do they have a public relations strategy. That's very clear because uh, for instance, this article, there is no clear purpose for what it is they're trying to share or even say, um, and I, I get that sense from these articles that they kind of mm-hmm. want to share some information, but they're not sure what they want to share, so it's almost like verbal diarrhea, um, mm-hmm. and it, it's interesting, but what can you make of it? I mean, are they trying to say that? All of these samples are potentially uh, from UFOs Um, or what? Well, let me let me uh, just continue
0: a little bit on in this because they're kind of laying that out. Um, You know, they're looking for an approach um, of unique indicators such as uh, unusual chemical combinations or alloys isotope ratios that indicate material was created outside of our solar system. That would be interesting. I don't know how exactly. Oh, well, I guess it would just be something they've never seen before, or unusual uh, structural composition. And that's that. To me, I think would be something that you would find um, if, say, something was alien from somewhere else, and they were advanced. Uh, the uh, the structural composition, uh, you know, just with what we have done in the last few years with all these. Uh, unusual uh, I forget what it's called it's with the strongest fiber and it's like uh, it's almost like honeycomb I can't do you know what I'm talking about
1: no it's very um. very
0: thin but very strong okay now uh, we will get hate mail because I forget what it's called
1: well there's lots of but yeah. anyway up uh,
0: mm-hmm. yeah but I'm, I'm just thinking an advanced civilization would have something figured out that would be very unique like you know of course uh, the the suppose Roswell crash, um, when they uh, saw those materials, it was unlike anything they'd ever seen before. Um, you know, there is speculation of what it might or might not have been, but still, uh, you know, it's not around now. We don't know what it is. Uh, one of the, so one of the artifacts on loan, according to TSS uh, TTSA, uh, for analysis, a magnesium zinc bismuth. Sample, which has been the source of discussion and speculation for years, the supplied documentation states that it is from a UAP crash recovery. While the source cannot be verified, this is particularly interesting—a uh, particularly interesting sample for several reasons.
1: Yeah, we'll get into this piece um, in just a minute here. Um, but uh, right. just since you introduced this, we just to get back to that intro, what I was going over is that, you know, and and you read this next sentence, which is according to the accompanying Providence documentation, um, there are two classes of samples. Um, And then they go on to describe one class, apparently, which is material that was released by a UAP, Um, And then they give those bullet points, those three bullet points that you just referenced. Um, But, I mean, again, here's the issue. It doesn't really make sense. It's almost like this is like some notes someone threw together. Really, There are two classes of samples. What are the two classes? Um, Mm. It's not clear what two classes they are. There's not even clear... What the first class is, I, I would guess that the first class is material released from a UAP. Um, is that one class that they're saying? And mm. and then when you get into the details, and I'd kind of, I'm channeling Chris Cogswell a little bit, of course, the uh, PhD in chemistry who I, I had on uh, fairly recently, um, which is that. You know, unusual structural composition, for example, it, it's just a bar for proving that something is anomalous is very, very high, and it's really difficult. So just because something is unusual in structure doesn't mean that it wasn't necessarily built here uh, on the planet, um, one of the things that they put in here is isotopic ratios that indicate the material was created outside of our solar system. That adds another layer. If you have um, this sort of material, mm-hmm. then and and also a structure that we can't define, um, you know, then that would be interesting or or potentially something strange. But um, so. They say they have seven samples. There's two classes of samples. They kind of define sort of what they're looking for in a way. And then they get into talking about uh, this this one sample in particular that they have in detail. Now, here's the thing about this sample. And I'll let you explain uh, more about it. They say here... Well, let's see. Um, they describe the sample and they say, which has been the source of discussion and speculation for years. Huh. So, what? Do you,
0: have you ever heard of that before?
1: Oh, yeah. I know exactly what this is, right? At least I'm pretty sure I know what this is. Arts parts. Did you remember Arts parts? Yeah. Yes, yes. So years ago and I can't remember what year it was but it's got to be like over 10 years ago um quite a while ago someone anonymously sent uh Art Bell who was the host of the famous you know paranormal radio show Coast to Coast AM some samples of material that they said they recovered near New Mexico and that they think was part of the Roswell crash. They looked at it. Uh, at first they thought it was weird. Uh, it looked like it was aluminum and then it didn't seem like it was weird but somehow some of it was weird and this is how uh, it was described. I know uh, Linda Howe uh, had also attempted to get some analysis done with it but uh, they Linda Howe described it as containing layers of bismuth and magnesium zinc alloy, um, and that they couldn't determine why it had those layers. So that seems like exactly what they're describing here um, mm. a magnesium zinc um, and bismuth layers layered. So I'll let you go ahead and read the bullet points here of what they say the material's like.
0: Sure. Uh, well, uh, first of all, they say the material is clearly engineered with a distinct layer with distinct layers of magnesium, zinc, and bismuth at structured thickness only microns thick. Uh, Also that there is no precedent for this structured combination of materials. It is unclear what fabrication processes allow this combination of materials to form in an integrated structural component. Theoretical analysis shows that the material acts as wave guide for, hmm, terahertz, terahertz, oh yeah, terahertz frequencies, yes, sorry, I I misread that. Those wavelengths normally would not propagate through this geometry. Uh, One side of the sample appears to be tooled, having a defined contour, sounds really interesting. Mm -hmm. There has been an extensive amount of testing in the material the true purpose or function of the material remains unknown. And then it f- ends with the TTSA team has already started testing several material samples and will be reporting results as we complete the analysis. So I I hope they actually do. Um, I hope they do follow up and actually, I mean, let's just say uh, Devil's advocate. They come up with something uh, really unusual. Are we going to be the first to know, or or is there a government source that will know ahead of us?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Who knows how, how this all will work? Those are some good questions, and I want to get into that because I think that you bring up some really interesting points. So, um, uh, Linda Howe actually did do more information about this uh, in one of her books at uh, because this material, it was the mid '90s when it was sent to coast to coast, and um, a- according to her, they they tried to I don't know who, but the, some people I think it's in her book High Strangeness tried to recreate this material and they couldn't. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know if she's had any interaction with Robert Bigelow and their group in the past. Of course, many of the members of To the Stars Academy are are from. Um, uh, also worked with Bigelow, but uh, and if you're not familiar, anybody who's new uh, to all of this, you know, To the Stars Academy is uh, a group started by Tom DeLong of uh, very credible people, a lot of people who've worked in defense or for defense contractors and uh, uh, they started this UFO research organization essentially with the man who used to run the Pentagon's UFO research uh, organization. So uh, and everybody's trying to figure out what they're up to, and they have you know recently released this this kind of weird um article about how they've apparently got you know that's what's weird if you if you take this as a whole, they've got these seven samples, um one of them is apparently arts parts, which has been discussed and examined for like they say decades. Um, and they go into some detail about it. And on one end, it's pretty exciting that they're looking into it, um, and then hopefully it'll be taken more seriously and we can figure out more about it. On the other hand, it is kind of interesting that, uh, of all the things that they bring up, they bring up a historic case that is already out there in the UFO canon. And I guess uh, one of the thoughts that it makes me think of is just that you know, a lot of the criticism they've received is they haven't been focused on the UFO community um, yet. It appears this first kind of Adam Project uh, piece that they're willing to talk about comes from the UFO community, the heart of it. So, interesting wow. stuff. But we'll get to I know more. we only have a little yeah. bit of
0: time left. But quickly, do you know where, uh, for this first break, that is, can you tell me where they found the material to start?
1: Well, that's the thing, it was anonymously sent to them.
0: Oh, that's it. They never found out the source.
1: Allegedly coming from the Roswell crash. Crash.
0: Well, of course it did.
1: I know. So that's, you know, that's a big red flag right there. Uh, And and mm-hmm. it's just kind of interesting so uh, we'll get back into th- more of this in just a second we've got to take a quick break and then we'll be back with more you're listening to Open Mind GFO Radio for those of you listening to KGRA you'll hear a short commercial, pr- commercial break the rest of you will hear a short musical interlude we'll be right back <laughs> Welcome back to Open Mind UFO Radio. This is your host Alejandro Rojas, and it is I, Martin Willis, uh, the UFO news guy, talking about some recent UFO news. And Martin got right into the kind of the media stuff that I wanted to talk about, which was this, this latest uh, revelation that came from the To the Stars Academy and their uh, regarding their Adam Project, which is to uh, collect and analyze anomalous material and uh, that immediately they the very first thing that they discuss is uh material and one of my other issues <laughs> with this article is that they uh they also don't uh, as you and I just discussed this it's got to be arts parts you know the description that uh, Linda Howe gives about uh who helped uh art bill you know look into this stuff it's exactly what the the description is that these guys are giving us they even say that uh this sample uh which has been the source of discussion and speculation for years kind of alluding to that's what this is but why didn't they give that history see and that the that's what's frustrating, I guess, mm. especially for someone like me who's in journalism. If you're going to write a press release, this is um, – here's a tip for people out there. If you're going to write a press release, what you do is you write the story. That's the best press release by far. I don't care who you talk to. Um, trust me. I get uh, – I do these quite a bit, and they're the most effective. You write the story for them because often, especially the smaller papers, they'll print your story. Just the way it is, and then you're getting all uh-huh. the information you want in there, um, right. or at the very least, they'll they'll mix it up a little bit. But if you give them a few quotes and stuff, but it's got to have a, a a beginning and an ending and an end, uh, and and um, it's got to have a point, and and that's this is just kind of like this small bit of information without a point, and then it doesn't clearly you know, give you the history, which it should, behind the material, because if this is some sort of material they're saying that's been out there, um, you know, they should, I feel they should have given that information because, and they should have explained, you know, gotten into this whole part that uh, the provenance being non-existent with this material uh, really means you can only take it so far. So, I mean, it completely could have been somebody in some lab somewhere who uh, sent it to them as a joke, and especially because right. they're saying from it's, it's from Roswell, that would most likely be the case. So, um, it's just really, this this article really puzzles me. They give us a little bit of information um, that is kind of haphazard and unorganized, and, and there's no real... Uh, idea of what their intent is I kind of feel that you know they released this video where they were kind of vague and got some negative feedback so they decided to try to throw people a bone but I'm not so sure uh if they did it in a way that that is going to help um them or hinder them but it all comes back to and, and I've written them about this uh and, and you know talk to Lou and it's not Lou's place. He, this isn't his uh, Lou Elizondo who ran a tip. It's not his uh, area uh, or res- of responsibility. But that, I think they need a stronger PR and media kind of plan um, on mm. what they want to communicate and how. And uh, I think they need to be a little more thorough in their communication. Um, because really, if you release information like this, here's the problem. And it's kind of similar to what Dr. Greer did, and who was definitely, I think, hiding information when he first came out with this uh, creature from the Atacama the a- Desert. Atacama baby. Exactly. The Atacama baby. He left out the entire history of this thing. Um, uh,
0: uh, yeah, I want to add something to that because basically it kind of skirts, um, you know, what I do for uh, the real world for a living is um, sometimes I authenticate artwork or I help um, involved in authenticating uh, fine art. And I'm working on a really uh, extraordinary piece right now. And guess what the number one thing is? Provenance. Where did this come from? What was its history? Um, It's the most important. You know, you look at all the the paintings that, you know, Picasso's or Monet's or whatever it is that bring record uh, prices, and it'll have two pages of provenance um, you know, where it was displayed and everything. And that's very, very important. So when it comes to something like this, um, it does make a difference. Um, because like you said, someone could have made this in a lab, although, you know, maybe, maybe not, maybe it's really difficult to make. Um, and it would certainly take a lot of time if it was that
1: unusual, but still,
0: um, the most important part
1: exactly and you know the point you make uh, because there is expert uh, opinion such as yours or expert insight um that can be lent to uh applied to this investigation. So, for instance, I think that that route of of conversation is exactly what should have happened here, is that it should have very clearly then stated, you know, we we think that this is something unusual. However, here's the provenance. Here's what we know about its background. And because mm-hmm. of that, we're limited in what we're going to be able to do with this material, and here's why and uh i think you should explain uh just like what you did here are some of the reasons that provenance is so important and some of the uh problems uh that can be caused by not having that provenance um and of course i'm i'm sure i would imagine and you would know better uh that if it doesn't have a provenance uh, often that is more indicative of a hoax
0: yeah or it could it could well when it comes to artwork there could be an issue with ownership um so Mm. that's uh you know and they the the old saying is all great art is stolen and there are you know i mean even the mona lisa was stolen you know at one time Mm -hmm. so um you know that it's very important and but it all does come down to authenticity when it comes to its
1: origin you're making another great point here, too, is ownership, because that obviously becomes an issue, and it becomes an issue in studying anomalous materials, too, because of where they come from and and what who, what the ownership is. So, I mean, someone could come out of the woodwork and say, hey, you know, this guy used to work for me. He took this from my work. And then, boom, you know, you've got to give the material back. Or mm-hmm. um, it could be someone saying, hey, he took that off of my property. You need to give that back. In fact, this would be an issue if this person claims it comes from the Roswell crash. That means it was either from BLM land. um, And, of course, we talked Mm. with Frank Kimbler, both of us recently, and the issues he's had from taking material from BLM land. Or it was private property. Either case, there are steps that need to be taken um, to secure ownership of, of this material uh, otherwise, all of this money being spent on this examination could be for nothing. So, I mean, it just there are so many issues uh, with that material, and and there's so much known about that material. I mean, as a journalist, let's say they had say, "Hey, Alejandra, we want to tell people about this arts parts that we're looking into. Could you help us write a story?" What they wrote was, you know, only the introduction. Um, they really need to have a whole conversation about what you and I just talked about, the background of this thing and the issues that its background brings up because those are known factors. They're public factors. There's no reason to hide that information. Um, All that you do, which I was getting into earlier, is become a Dr. Greer where it appears that you're hiding the background because it hurts the credibility of the issue. Um, In the case of Dr. Stephen Greer, uh, that... uh, carcass had already been analyzed and had already determined to be human and of course that was important information you should share with people i um, guess when he he claims it to be alien and then of course gary nolan who's now working with two of the stars uh who's an expert with dna did an analysis and found out yep it's human which is what the prior analysis had found out and uh but Dr. Greer and others are still disputing that, but um, uh, for whatever reason, but, uh, I mean, it's just, uh, I I think this article is, I don't think that, and and I do want to say, and I'd love to hear what your thoughts are, well, let me just ask this right off the bat. I mean, what impressions did it give you any, like, emotional response either way when you read this article or, or saw that they had written this or, or with what they're up to? I mean, what does it make you think and feel?
0: Um, the first thing I, I feel is um, it's spotty. It, and what I, what I mean by that is um, it's skirting around anything that it, th- that's real meat to a story. And uh, I don't want to say it's it I'm not going to say that it's not credible but I'm going to say that um, it doesn't seem to lead anywhere it doesn't pull you in and 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 because all right if they had a simple thing I know this sounds silly maybe but even if they had like pictures of it or something like this it's kind of like we're all um, just reading and taking what they're giving us and it's not enough.
1: Yeah, I here's my concern, um, and I see, and I think that your feeling is what a lot of people feel. I mean, uh, it's just confusing, and it's like, you know, what is it? What are you guys trying? What are you trying to do here? What are you trying to say? And um, uh, the concern I have is that. You know, I'm taking it, and of course, I I am being a little bit hypercritical of the group because I really feel there can't be a SETI of UFOs. The the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. You know, the movie Contact came out at the time. SETI was still a bit fringe because they're looking for ET. Uh, but the movie came out uh, there are a lot of scientists involved with that organization it brought legitimate le- legitimacy to the organization and now they're a really big deal like anything they do makes mm-hmm. news they work closely with NASA and others uh, in astrobiology and looking for life out there and I think UFOs can have that too and so I just I get sensitive because I really want to see these guys be the next SETI of you know the study of UFOs, and I think that um, you can, in order to do that, you got to kind of communicate in the way that they do, and you have to be very careful in the way that you communicate and professional. And at least for someone in journalism, you know, who looks at press releases and stuff, this would be this would go nowhere if you sent this to, it, mm-hmm. you, you know, the that's why the only person who wrote about it was the Daily Star, you know, a UK tabloid. Um, whereas, you know, a, a more concise, uh, explanation of why this is important, what this really means goes a lot further, not just for the media, but for the general public as well. And so I, I just, um, I would like, I just want them to do the, as good as they can, but it also lends father because I feel there are a lot of people who want to see them go down that just want to see this whole thing, um, go away And I think it's just why is a great question. And my guess would be, and I'd love to hear what you think, but my guess would be, I think that it just disturbed their paradigm. You know, a lot of people have been working in UFOs and doing stuff in this field and trying to connect dots and build what they think is going on. And when you have something like this happen, it it mucks things up. They're getting more attention. Um, You know, hey, I, I like the way things work. Get out of here, you. Um so I think that people are just you know a lot of uh they don't want people messing in in their world, so they unfortunately want to see this this all destroyed i mean, do you get that sense? I
0: have because of the
1: emails that i've read
0: from people you know writing me um you know asking me questions about them and you know and making some statements and um I think it's too bad you know that it's it's like um Well, here it is, Uh, you know, what I'm thinking, and I may be off on this, but what I'm thinking that um, some people that are upset about them and want to see them go down have been at it a long time. And, you know, how can this new kid on the block all of a sudden have all this power and connections and, and, you know, making some progress? Um, Now, wait a minute, you know, Noah, that's my territory. What's he doing here? I think it's something along those lines. I, I don't really understand it. Um, I say you know anybody that's putting serious work into this to try to figure out kudos to them
1: yeah exactly and and this group is is more exciting because they're you know uh, more mainstream they're they're uh, I mean these people are tied in with the whole, real science industry out there. And uh, that makes it really important because people are really going to pay attention um, to what they're up to. And, um, uh, you know, that's why I, I think that, you know, articles like this, I think it, it's important that they they uh, have full disclosure, um, you know, especially if they're saying – This is something that's been out there and debated for decades. Well, what has been debated about it? What's out there about it? Who's looked at it? You know, you need to understand the history of this thing um, to get that out. Because, of course, luckily we had Antonio Juneas working for us when that whole Greer thing happened. And he uh, is very keyed in with uh, Latin America and the and research in, in UFOs. And so he knew the entire history of that uh, little Atacama critter. And so we had written a bunch of stories on that. So people got the, the backstory uh on that. So, you know.
0: And it kind of goes along the same lines as the so-called Roswell Slides.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: it just wasn't followed through. Well, that was... Kind of a lot of a little different in another way, but I, I think there was some definitely there was definitely some shenanigans going on there.
1: Yep, there are some shenanigans. So we'll see what happens with this. And on the one hand, it's really exciting that they're doing this. It's really exciting that they're looking at these materials. Um, just uh, on the other hand, the way they're at least going about kind of stumbling and haphazardly sharing information with the public is just. A little weird and clumsy and I think that they they really need to to uh kind of tidy that area up. But uh yeah, interesting stuff, huh?
0: Yeah, I like your I like your analogy of uh we need like a SETI type of situation, you know, because they're the people are there. They're staffed. You know, they have some great people on board with them that mm-hmm. uh, you know, are serious. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Sadie, should I mention that really crazy dream I had that I told you about?
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Let's get into that. One one last (laughs) thing, though, um, is that there's another piece of news that they released on the 27th, which was just a video, essentially, of uh, Tom DeLonge and Lou Elizondo talking about Tom DeLonge's latest book, so his latest fiction book, uh, Secret Machines, I think it's the second one, uh, it's called Secret Machines of Fire Within, that is based on his UFO research, uh, just came out. So there's oh. a video of uh, him and uh, Lou talking about that for a while, too, that you can find on To the Stars. But yeah. I probably
0: got that email and I just ignored it. So Damn you. it's too bad.
1: Damn you. Yeah. Kind so of, yes you got a weird you had a weird dream oh uh, yeah this is kind of
0: embarrassing but i'll, I'll just <laughs> you know i'm just gonna say what happened because you know it can really help their dreams so I, but i think it's funny i i think the listener may get a little bit of a boot out of it so um the other night i was uh i was working down in boston and i i was staying in a hotel room and uh so it was a little bit noisy and i decided to put Um, my earbuds in and listen to a podcast, and occasionally I like to listen to, it's actually very good, Um, Seth Shostak and uh, Jill Tarter do, or she's on it a lot, not all the time, but they do a a show called, uh, a podcast, a great podcast called Big Picture Science, and so, um, and it's really, uh, you know, it's on global warming, you name it, it's on everything, not just astronomy and uh, life, uh, possible life out there. So I was listening to Big Picture Science and Seth, uh, Seth Shostak, who I think he's, you know, he's a really good orator. So, just, you know, he's good at what he does. And uh, so I'm listening to it and I fall asleep. So uh, this is kind of embarrassing, but I'm going to just say it. So I wake uh, in, my, in my dream, I'm in this hotel room uh, with a bunch of people that I don't really know. We're like sitting around the lobby and it's in the middle of the desert, middle of nowhere. And uh, I see couple posters, and I go up and I read one, and it says, uh, SETI, just two miles from here. So um, in my dream, I go out and I walk, and I do not that part I don't really remember much. So I get to this building, big brick building, and it's like a dome, almost like an uh, observatory, but it's all brick. And um, I go inside. Uh, by the way, you can tell probably this was a, was a very vivid dream. So I go inside, and There's all these like planets hanging from the ceiling and telescopes everywhere and antique brass telescopes. I guess it's because I like antiques. I don't know. So, and this is one of these dreams where, you know, you can even smell like I could smell, like it smelled museum musty, you know? And, and so I look over and there's, uh, Seth Shostak and he has a pair of gray headphones on. I just remember every detail. Um, over in the corner. So I start walking over to him and all of a sudden I see Jill Tarter. And I said, hi, Jill. So she's talking to me. She opens her mouth and she had this weird long tooth that was all like hollowed out and stained and really, really scary. And so I kept you know, talking to her and looking away. I have no idea where that came from. And then I walk over to Seth and I say, hey, Seth, how you doing? And he looks at me and goes, can't you see him doing my show and he's got this little miniature microphone you can just barely see it he's like talking into it and i'm like oops i'm embarrassed and all that so i walk over to around this uh, like partition and i look over and he's well he's not gonna like me for this he's smoking <laughs> a joint and it's this real tight like joint and he's smoking this joint And he's blowing the smoke. There's this little tube with a little horn coming down from the hanging down from the ceiling, and he's blowing the smoke up the tube. And uh, then he continues to do his story. And I look over and there's this young kid um, in the baseball cap, and uh, I look and he's like really anxious to talk to him. Wait for his show to get done. So, um, but when he got done his show, I kind of said first ahead of the kid, you know, hey Seth. How are you? It's Martin Willis, and I remember you and I did a show on on uh, UFOs. Do you remember that? And Seth's like looking over me, and the kid says, "UFOs, they're a bunch of crap. Get out of here." And I walked out totally humiliated. And that wow. was my dream. I know that's really bizarre. Are we going to lose listeners after that one?
1: I hope not. Maybe, but if you're if you're still here, stay tuned because we're going to talk <laughs> more UFOs. But uh, I thought it was a cute dream, but it's very easy to interpret because uh, well, uh, you just, uh, I think, are the type of person to often be like when you walk into a room, <laughs> I get the sense that you're waiting to be yelled at. Uh, wow. Most Dude, of the time that- you walk into the room, you're kind of like, "Uh oh, am I supposed to be here? And it, it's you, you walk in with a presumption that I'm going to get in trouble.
0: Well, you know, I think it might be my upbringing because I had <laughs> I had manners beaten into me, you know. And Yeah, um,
1: well, that's a good thing.
0: Yeah. So, uh, but it might be. I didn't realize that. I'm going to have to go to therapy again.
1: No, it, it's well, not you know. a bad thing. At least you're not entitled where you think, oh, everybody wants to hear from me and I'm the most important person <laughs> in the world. So, it's not well, a bad problem to have. It's one of the things that makes you endearing. <laughs> okay. Well, now I'm self
0: conscious, is what I am. But, <laughs>
1: yeah, see? Yeah. Now, see, uh,
0: anyway, I see. No, see that. Anyway, I I try to figure out the dream. I I can't figure. You never Here's can. cute. But only that I went to sleep with the earbuds in, which I.
1: No, I think won't it's just you like into. the guys. You're a bit intimidated by how intelligent they are and everything, and um, you'd like to meet them one day, but you'd be nervous that uh, they would not be as happy to see you as you would be to see them. <laughs>
0: Probably. Now, with Seth, I did my very first UFO debate, and uh, yeah, that just barely happened because um the internet went down, I ran to a hotel room, and I had couldn't use it there either after I paid for the room, so I put my phone in the window and did the... The connection to the phone and did the show with him and um, he was really good at debating ufos i'll tell you that mm-hmm.
1: well tell us a little more about it after this next break we're going to go to break and then we'll talk more about it. sasha stack but we also will talk about a- another couple of cool things that have gone on that i think people should take notice of that might not have been able to so we'll be right back after this short break if you're listening to kgra or hear commercials if you're listening to the podcast you'll hear a short beautiful musical interlude we'll be right back Welcome back to Open Minds UFO Radio. This is your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I'm here with Martin Willis. Now, you just met and mentioned Seth Shostak, and I know that's a, a name that a lot of UFO people like to hate, but I'm also a big fan of his because he's very witty. Um, yes. It is frustrating because I've talked to him, too, and he gets very dismissive, and he hasn't done his his research at all on UFOs, but still gets on his high horse, which is a bit frustrating but when you had him debate who did you have him debate myself oh you debated him
0: I debated him yeah I think it was like also it was like I have like 320 some odd episodes and I think it was episode 20 or something it was really Oh, it was daring I had him toward the beginning but yeah um, how do you think you did I actually think I did fairly well Uh of course Um, you know he is really sharp and He really threw me because, um, you know, he really, like I said, you know, so you, you don't believe there's any way that extraterrestrials are visiting the earth. And he said, well, it's possible. Like he, well, I didn't expect him to say that.
1: Well, So, you know,
0: like I was, uh, uh, he kind of shocked me a few times, um.
1: And, and we should uh, say who he is. He he is actually the oh, lead yes, scientist course. for the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Institute. So very credible person. You probably have seen him on TV several times. Uh, very witty. And what's interesting is uh, to your point is that you know he loves to dis- be dismissive in, uh, about UFOs and debate. But when he does a lecture, it's all about how extraterrestrials are out there, how ET civilizations have to be out there. And it's a great talk. It's very witty. It's scientific. So that's, what's so interesting to me. And it almost alludes to kind of a, kind of an um, internal issue that some of these people have, because they're convincing you. There are civilizations out there, but they couldn't have come here. And their reason because they couldn't have invented a technology to come here. That's kind of very, uh, uh, not very forward thinking.
0: Yep, and uh, that came up um, uh, quite a bit. I remember uh, saying something like, well, you know, anything is possible or something like that. And he was kind of, he was a little bit, you know, intimidating um, after I said that. And I, I did ask him, I said, hey, what would happen to... What would happen if all of a sudden we found out that, found out that UFOs were actually um, an alien intelligence? We had proof. Um, what would what would happen to your job to your job security? And he kind of laughed, and of course he's heard that one many times, I guess. He had a really good answer. I wish I could remember exactly what it was, but it was dismissive. But the one thing that I will take from all that time ago it was a long time ago when I entered when I did that debate was I said, what type of evidence? I told him there's radar evidence, there's astronauts. He said, by the way, astronauts or pilots uh, or any of those are no better of an observer than anyone else. Um, but he um, he said that it would take an entire wing of the Smithsonian full of material before he'd believe it would be true. Wow. That's, that's the type so of evidence.
1: That's mm-hmm. very strange. It, it's really odd that um, he's like that because – I mean, if you look at it, I think just taking a stand, taking a step back, and you look at, okay, you've convinced me there are uh, extraterrestrial civilizations out there that are more advanced than we are, perhaps by thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years. Okay, Seth, you've convinced me of that. The next step, which is to to um, come up with the, you know, to a, to speculate that they may have come up with a technology that would allow them, um, which is essentially just they may have come up with an understanding of nature and the universe and how it works that would allow them to do what many theoretical physicists think is possible by bending space-time and getting here um, is not a stretch whatsoever.
0: That's right. And, you know, I, I remember saying to him, What if they've figured out something in physics that we haven't yet? Um, You know, and he actually, I think he was agreeable to that, that it was a possibility. But, uh, you know, the number one thing I do remember also, and this was, by the way, it was uh, episode 22, so it's going way back. Wow. Uh, uh, Let's see. I can't, uh, that was 2012, September 2012, uh, when I did that uh, debate with him, but You know, um, that the number one thing is, and I do understand, that we can't even conceive of the amount of space between us and the first star. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, the four four light years away. I mean, if you put the numbers on it, um, you can't even visualize something like that. So I do understand there's great distance to travel. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I said, what if they can, some intelligence can figure out,
1: you know. How to do that. I understand what he's saying completely. Um, And and I totally, yeah, the distances are just incredible. Even this whole idea of getting us back to the moon, because NASA was focused uh, during the Obama administration on getting to Mars. They had the Orion project, uh, Mm -hmm. Boeing, um, along with uh, under United um, Space, I forget, UAL. Um, Aerospace Alliance, essentially, you know, they're building this SLS, this giant rocket. And um, now they've refocused to go back to the moon. And uh, But even getting to the moon, let alone Mars, is a very big deal for us because the distances are so huge. People might not realize that we have not gotten out of lower Earth or orbit in a very, very long time. We've just been going to the International right. Space Station, which is very, very close. In fact, you know, the Earth has a, a magnetic field around it that protects us from the radiation of space and the sun. And everything that the space station and everywhere we go is inside of this bubble. But if you go Outside of this bubble, you're going to get pelted by radiation, so that's mm-hmm. a concern. It um, a- a- actually happened to the Apollo astronauts, where they just they were they received this this uh, radiation. Luckily, it seems like it, I don't think it gave any of them cancer, but. Um, I mean, there's just – and the distances and the time, it, it's very, very difficult. And it's a big deal for us. So, sure, you know, we are not close to there. We are not uh, able to to tr- traverse those vast distances. But um, it doesn't mean it's it's not possible by someone. And, you know, especially when it comes to space science. This is one that gets me too. We discover things in space on a regular basis that we never could have imagined – Were possible. Um, Mm -hmm. One of my favorites is rogue planets. Everybody thought you know planets had to be in a solar system circling a star, and then we found these you know random planets that are just floating out there in the middle of nowhere in space. They never thought that was possible. Um, This whole concept of dark matter that we don't even know what the hell it is. It's just an explanation because we don't know why the universe is expanding when we thought, given our math, it would be contracting. So, especially with space science, we find out weird stuff all the time. So, why I just – not only that, I think what's interesting, bringing this back to the Skinwalker Ranch, is a concept that uh, many others have had as well. In fact, I've had this – and I think you've had him um, – uh, this uh, this professor and, and scientist in Nebraska who's trying to build um, kind of a time warp, yeah. essentially. Yeah, and right. And he feels that – this time warp, it can be naturally occurring. And some of the scientists kind of feel like that might be going on like in in Skinwalker, that possibly, Mm. you know, there's there's kind of the veil is thin between dimensions or something in certain places, and that's what explains kind of this paranormal phenomena that uh, we interact with at times. But, um, I mean, that may be possible. I mean, and it works. There are... um, theoretical physicists who believe the math works where you know there could be types of interactions where other dimensions are affecting our dimension and vice versa so and this is science so yeah it's it's very weird that they I've always felt it's kind of I think that the reason SETI is so hypersensitive about UFOs more so and, and the possibility of aliens visiting is that they had to fight for credibility for so long,
0: sure, yeah,
1: and, and they had to keep steer clear of what everybody was accusing them of and making fun of them. That they've just gone so far away that they can't go back. They can't reconcile, um, you know, with these ideas. At least not now. Whereas they've got such a large amount of credibility at this point. I don't think it would really hurt them if they entertained these ideas, and I think even this Pentagon um, revelation that the Pentagon had this UFO research group and the the reaction, which has been very positive by the mainstream for the most part, not completely, um, shows that you know, I think the public's ready, and they, maybe there's a, I think there's a segment of the public that's always been ready to talk seriously about the math and the science and the possibilities of potential we don't know we don't have evidence but potential alien visitation
0: mm-hmm. uh, speaking going back to where we we're talking about the distances which which I think is fascinating and hard to conceive but I had it laid out on a show I did um, a few years ago I think with uh, Dr. Jeffrey Bennett who you and I both met mm, down in he's great South Carolina yeah he is great now I'm hoping I'm not misquoting him, but this will give someone an idea of how far away we are from our first star, the closest star to us, uh, which is about four—I can't remember exactly—light years away, something somewhere around there. Um, so, if the Earth was the size of a basketball, um, I believe um, we and we were in and it was in um, say Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the on the East Coast. And um, the Earth would be the size of a ball and the ballpoint pen uh, mm. next to the Earth. I'm, I'm almost positive those are the two different sizes that he was talking about. Um, then he said that the first star would be in L.A., Los Angeles, mm. to give you an idea of, uh, to reduce the size of the Earth all the way down to, a ball and a ballpoint pen, the first star would be all the way over to Los Angeles, over 3,000 miles away.
1: Wow. See, and yeah, it's a great example. I mean, the the distances are very far, but Jeffrey Bennett was uh, very open-minded, and he said he's open to the possibility that maybe aliens are visiting, and, and it's totally, completely possible. And you know what else he talked about, which is a conversation that comes up periodically, and it came up again this week, in the media, which is uh should we if aliens are out there, are they good or bad mm-hmm. and uh, Bennett is along the lines of actually most astrophysicists, which is that if they're able to harness these incredible technologies uh, that would allow them to get here and not blow themselves up, then yep. um, they most likely have been able to solve you know war and and all of these interpersonal problems and so they probably would be benevolent. So I think that's um, an interesting idea yeah. and Carl Sagan felt the way and it is the prominent theory that's out there.
0: I remember his his uh actually on on the show that I did with uh, Jeffrey and I know you've you've had him on too at one point, but the thing that impressed me the most was very similar to what you're saying that he said on my show and he said that um His fellows uh, at uh, NASA when he was a visiting astronomer there or astrophysicist there and himself uh, quietly agree, this is his own words, and as close to him as I can get, that if a civilization out there can get through the bottleneck of technology without blowing themselves up, then they will indeed be traveling the stars. Yeah. That was such a great, great line.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So, speaking of very credible- blowing ourselves up? No, not blowing ourselves up. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 Thank no. Goodness. That Thank scares goodness. me. Um, yeah. no, actually thinking about the potential for alien life because of course, um and I've got this, I don't know if you've seen this, my our new tagline at Open Minds is credible ufo news and information because that's what i think the public needs right mm. now is some credible ufo news and information um it's hard to know what's credible out there and right now now there people are are seeing the pentagon did some ufo research why did they do that is there something credible out there there is and um there's even some credible stuff when it comes to weird creatures and aliens and uh, surprisingly you know and i get you know, called out for my skepticism all the time, but I do feel that there are some credible instances out there. And one of them is the Ruwa encounter. And, Mm. um, we were talking earlier about what you thought was one of your best shows recently. And you had one of those witnesses. Maybe you can explain, um, as concisely as you can, uh, what took place and who this guest was you had.
0: Yeah. So I had Selma Siddick on uh, two times. Actually, I was, uh, I believe I was, yeah, I was the first one to actually interview her after she got involved with uh, Randy Nickerson and doing the Ariel School a Phenomena movie. Um, she was at the site when she was a young girl. I believe, I want to say she said that she was 11 years old when that happened. And the first time, uh, the first time I did a show with her, it went viral, basically. And so when I met her again at the MUFON uh, symposium down in uh, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, um, we had a nice conversation. And I asked her, I said, well, you know, what what has, have you gotten any feedback from from when we did the show? And she goes, boy, have I. She said, I've heard from people all over the world. And I said, really? And, you know, so it was really interesting. Um, and she's been connected with, you know, even through YouTube, a YouTube video I did with her. Um, you know, she has got connected with um, even former classmates they couldn't find and, you know, pretty amazing. So I interviewed her again, a second time down, uh, you know, at the MUFON Symposium. And this time, and it's on YouTube, it's not a lot of views. I'm kind of disappointed. But anyway, uh, she's very nice, by the way, and very articulate. And she, um, uh, you know, actually filled in some holes from, not from her story, but just from people that commented on the first show I did with her. One comment I thought was very good. And he said, the fact that you didn't ask her why she didn't have you know, any telepathy when she was standing right next to this being, she was only four feet away or so. Um, then uh, you know, you really missed out by not asking why she thought she may not have had any telepathy. And I thought, Wow, what an interesting thought.
1: So when so I So these kids like saw this craft and an entity come out and Yeah. Oh, um, we
0: should we should tell this you're right. We yeah. should we have we have time here. I think um, we should tell basically the story um, of when this happened. Um, I w- it was back in the 1990s. I can't re- right off the bat. I can't tell you the the date of it. I want to say 95, but I, I I'm sorry about that. So um, in South Africa, um, a- at the Ariel School that's in Z- Zimbabwe, um, all these about 65 or so school children were outside and. Oddly enough, the teachers were having a teacher's conference and there was only one adult outside and she was in this uh, shack that sold like snacks and things like that. So she was out out of the line of sight. And um, this craft was some people say there were two crafts, but this craft came down and uh, they all went out, you know, curious, curiously to look at it and. As far as she knows, uh, the thing that she had in common with all her classmates is nobody ever heard of a UFO or flying saucer or anything like that in Southern Africa. It just wasn't on, you know, wasn't anything they knew about. And so they didn't have any idea what it was. And it was just hovering uh, above the ground. And this being, uh, some people say two beings. um, She remembers one that came out, had like straight hair. Uh, It had big, huge black eyes. And uh, and it had a porcelain-like skin, like something she said that she couldn't really describe. So she was only four feet away from this. And this is one of the things she said in the second interview that uh, was really um, quite moving, I think, is that um, she was eye-locked with it, eye-to-eye with this. And she realized that she had to see how her brother and sister were. They were younger than So she was kind of always watching over them. So she said that one of the hardest things she ever did in her life was to break the lock, the eye lock, with the creature. Hmm. And so I asked her the question. I said, why do you think you didn't have any telepathy like other kids said that they got messages that we should take care of the earth, uh, etc.? So anyway... She said, Well, I'm not 100% sure that I didn't. And so then I brought up, Well, have you ever thought of having regression hypnotherapy? And she said, No, I don't want to do that. I'm, you know, she's too scared to do that. Maybe someday, but not now. But I don't know. Do you want to fill in uh, for the first time uh, person that doesn't know about that story, what else happened? I mean, I can go into it more if you'd like. No, I I
1: think you got all the big points. So, and then yet the, the, it was just a group of kids, and they all seem very credible. And years later, many of them have come out. It was in 1994 um, when this Thank occurred, you. and many of them now have spoken with uh, with. Uh, um, you mentioned him before, um, Randy Nickerson. Randy Nickerson and and also James Fox for his video yeah. that's coming out, and so and and they recall you know, these things happening. In fact, we also have an interview um, of uh, Emily, Emily Trim, Trim, one of the other witnesses, mm-hmm. and it was a very amazing, moving moment a couple years ago yeah. at the UFO Congress when she did a talk. And uh, it, it was, was just very emotional for her and for, mm-hmm. for everybody. And what's interesting about her is uh, shes I've met her, Um, She came to our office once and she had a bunch of artwork. So she has artwork that has these weird symbols in it and stuff that she feels is inspired by her encounter, which is also really interesting. And um, it just seems like, you know, uh, these people had long-term effects um, to their experience Mm -hmm. that uh, just adds to and they they all come across so credible um it's just amazing yes
0: yeah it really is and uh, for the person that's not familiar with the incident you know john mack uh harvard yes. uh professor um in psychology actually interviewed the children and you can see a lot of their interviews on youtube for instance and i'm telling you there's some of them that just give me the chills
1: yeah, we are uh, actually out of time. Oh my gosh! So yes, we are. Oh my goodness. Go look wow. at aerial okay. school or Zimbabwe UFO or aerial UFO, and you'll find this. Or go look up Emily Trim, uh, and and you'll see some of this because Selma's name is probably going to be difficult to to spell. But absolutely, one of the most incredible uh, uh, alleged encounters with within. Entity that came out of one of these crafts But we're completely out of time So thank you Martin for uh, spending some time And talking some UFOs with me
0: You are welcome
1: Uh, It was fun be sure to check out. So on our YouTube uh, at the Open Minds YouTube, I've got my UFO live that I'm doing where I do news every Thursday at 6 PM live and then answer questions for people who are in the YouTube chats with me live. So that's been a lot of fun and that's been going very well. And then also we've got a video from the devil's tower of, of me and some other UFO researchers talking about close encounters, the movie and some other cool stuff that we'll have up there soon. Also, There's some new videos on the video on demand for the International UFO Congress. In fact, you can watch Emily Trim's presentation and others on the video on demand. You could go to ufocongress.com to find out more about that. Um, Also, you can find some cool t-shirts at openminds.tv, either some Open Minds branded stuff or at the UFO Congress store. Lots of cool stuff there. So, And I guess you might not know this yet. I will be speaking at... uh, the next Alien Con in Baltimore uh, in November. So check that out. I'll get wow. some more information out on that as time comes uh, goes on. But thank you very much to Caleb Hanks for the opening and closed music. Thank you to Systematics for the bumper music. Uh, thank you again, Martin. Do you want to tell everybody bye? Bye, everyone.
0: Thank you so much. It was great.
1: Until next time, adios muchachos.